Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We're, um, we're going to dive into a piece of Va'era from the very, very beginning of Va'era that because of the way that the commentary um, goes, um, it kind of requires us to go back into this week's Parsha. Uh, and I, I've really gotten into Ibn Ezra this week. I, I spoke about Ibn Ezra la- last night, and I, I've gotten into this particular commentary by Ibn Ezra that you'll see we're going to land on at the end today. And uh, it took me on a tour through some stuff from this week, which means that I've asked that you either have a chumash in front of you or uh, I'll walk you through these pieces from elsewhere. So I'm going to pass these around. They're for no particular reason not stapled. So I'm just going to ask as you pass them around that you take two pages. I think that's right. And then pass them down. You'll see there's a giant title on the, you know, if you take two pages, then you'll see there's a title on the next page. Okay, so there's a moment right at the beginning of Parshat Va'era when God is speaking to Moses. Is it the first time when God is speaking to Moses? Is this in Parshat Va'era, the second Parsha of the book of Shemot, is it the first time that God is speaking to Moses? No, you have the burning bush and God speaks to Moses there, which is partially why we have to go back a little bit in, um, in a few commentaries down the road. But there is a moment. Yes, Kathy. Wonderful question. Does it say Vayomer Adonai or Vayomer, Hash, Vayomer Elohim? So in that moment, in chapter three, you can already turn to it. In chapter three, you'll see. This is where we're going to go. Chapter 3, you see on page 326, if you're in in the Eitz Chaim, chapter 3, verse 1, begins where Moshe is tending the flock, right, and and, uh, of Yitro, who is his uh, father-in-law, right, and he comes to Chorev, which is Har Hashem. We know that. He doesn't know that, right? Har HaElohim. Vayera Malach Adonai Elav. So an angel of God appears to him in a blazing fire in a in a sne uh, that was a nenu ukal it was not consumed by the blaze right and he says oh my gosh this is amazing why doesn't the bush burn and then when god saw that he had turned aside to look god actually called out to moshe right vayikra elav elohim mitocha sne vayomer moshe moshe was that reminiscent of avraham Avraham, there's also Sneh in that one, right? When he calls out to Avraham in the moment of his nearly sacrificing his son Isaac. And uh, Moshe says back, Vayomer Hineni. By the way, exactly, exactly the dialogue from that moment of, of uh, near sacrifice, okay? Vayomer, all, ti, krav, halom, shal, naalecha. May all raglecha. So don't get too close, but also take off your sandals. Oh, we talk, um, Rabbi Klikvald actually spoke about that this morning. Ki hamakoma sherata omeda lav admat kodesh hu, because you're standing on holy ground, sir. Right? He doesn't say sir. I added sir. Vayomer anochi elohe avicha. And he says, so God introduces himself. 
I am the God of your fathers, plural. Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. This is getting a little into what we're going to get into later. But yes, he does introduce himself to Moshe. He does say hi and introduce himself. It doesn't say Vaida Ber Elohim El Moshe, but God is definitely talking to Moses. Right? God says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers. Right? So it's clear that God is talking to Moses there. He doesn't say the classic verse that we're getting to, but he does say, I am the God of your fathers. So we definitely have that. Okay. Then we're going to go back to Parsha Vaera for a moment. Now we're back at the beginning of our Parsha. God spoke to Moses and says, Vaidaber Elohim El Moshe, Vayomer Elav. And he says to him, Okay, now we get Vayomer Elav. And he says to him, Ani Adonai, I am Yud Hey Vav Hey. Okay, I, I am Adonai, however that is pronounced. Vaera El Avraham, I appeared to Avraham, El Yitzchak, to Isaac, Vael Yaakov, Vael. Shaddai, Be'el Shaddai. I appeared to them, Be'el Shaddai. What is Be'el Shaddai? What is Be'el Shaddai? That's what all of today is going to be about. Be'el Shaddai. I appeared to them, Be'el Shaddai. Ushmi Adonai. And my name is Adonai. Lo nodati lahem. What does that mean? Lo nodati lahem. I wasn't known to them, and the, the translation here was added, I wasn't known to them as Adonai. Some would say, I wasn't known to them as Adonai. Some would say, I wasn't known to them in El Shaddai, as El Shaddai, who is El Shaddai. Let's figure this out. The Or HaChayim. So I'm bringing in this late commentary, this 18th century commentary. I'm bringing in this late commentary who comes in and offers something really simple. I wanted to start with the very simple. So the very simple commentary uh, that that's um, brought here is God here wants to make clear that God introduces God's self to people, even special people of each generation individually. Okay? Nobody gets the same introduction that someone else in a different generation got. So what does this commentary say? Ta'am shehizkiram bifratot. So the reason that God didn't lump them together but referred to each one by names is that they, he was known on something special, something unique to that patriarch who was in question. El Avraham, Abraham was unique in that he recognized his creator without having been guided to that particular moment, right? What what is particular about Avraham or Avram as what he was when he met God? Midrash is that he destroyed the idols. Who told Abraham you should believe in God? Right, no one told Abraham he should believe in God or Avram he should believe in God. He just believed in God. He is. He's the founding father. I like that, right? He's the founding, he's the patriarch who figured it out from the beginning, right? So if, or Chaim says, someone has foreknowledge of the existence of God and God's power, he doesn't get special credit for conducting themselves with such knowledge. So every intelligent being would choose good over evil once they know. Do we agree with that? 
I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do agree with the ratio, not the safe. Okay, with the first part, not the second part. I agree with the first part, which says Avram should get special credit and should be listed separately, meaning what Or Chaim is picking apart here is why does it say in this verse, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov? Or for that matter, why does it say in our prayer services, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov? Why bother saying that? Why bother saying I introduced myself individually to each person? Well, because the relationship was entirely different to each of those individual people. I am not just the God of Elohei Avicha. Remember, now you guys got the tease. I was going to bring that in here, but you saw it earlier. He said, I am Anochi Elohei Avicha, right? That's what he, that's what God said earlier at the bush. I am the God of your forefathers. But here God says, well, but let me get a little more specific. I was a God who met Abraham. And then later I was a God who met Isaac, right? It's his reference sheet, as Irv says. It's like each time I met up with and created a special relationship with each of these forefathers. Who, who would you say, let's just get created here for a second. Who feels missing from this list for you? I would say specifically Rivka for me specifically Rivka, because they definitely knew each other, right? She went to him and she was Lidrosha Tashem. She definitely knew God. We know that explicitly from the text. So just interesting who gets introduced in the text here in particular. Yeah. It's history rather than her story, says Irv. Yes, Kathy. Oh, I like this as well, right? So Kathy says, listen, God has changed every time God meets up with someone. God is like shivim panim latorav, there's 70 faces of God. God has so many evolving and changing aspects to God. Every time God meets with a human being, this is a little deep, right? But God is different in meeting up with that human being. So that, that connection is searingly different at each of those moments for God as well. I like that a lot. Barry, you're gonna get the last point and then I'm gonna to go to the next commentary. Each L is different and it's the same God, but it's a different human, you're right. Right, no, no need to repeat the name of God every time, but rather we just repeat the different people with whom God has a relationship. That's beautiful. Sure, Sandra, you can jump in too. Mm-hmm. Great question. Where does Kel Shaddai come in? Where does El Shaddai, this idea, come in? Where does it first appear? Where is this idea? The first place, at least where it appears in Shemot, is here. And I am going to make an argument, and you'll see where and when in just a few minutes that I really hope that we get through in time. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Why it's only important as to how God is referenced in Shemot. It's not my argument. It's a commentator's argument. I'm standing on the the shoulders of someone else's argument. But this is the all oh, right that that El Shaddai. Let's speaking of that El Shaddai, turn the page to Sforno's commentary, our 15th century Italian friend, going back in time a little bit, and we're just going to look at the beginning of his commentary. Who says that bet? What the heck is that bet doing there? Okay. Ushmi Hashem, okay, my name is Hashem, lo no dati, didn't know me. Look at the verse again, right? So what, yeah, Bet El Shaddai. So 
it says, and I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Be'el Shaddai. So what is this Be? He says, Be, the Bet, Be'el Shaddai, Nimshachat Letevat Ushmi. Tevat means either ark or word. Okay, so it's, it's, it is connected to this word, Ushmi. So it's Be Shmi. So it's applying to the word Shmi. So it's like it's Be Shmi. So El Shaddai is the name. So El Shaddai, so it's, let me reread the verse with it. Va'era El Avraham, El Yitzchak, the El Yaakov, El Shaddai, Bishmi Adonai. So he's saying that it's not that the bet actually belongs there and it was put in the wrong place. He's saying he introduced them, he inter- God introduced God's self with the name El Shaddai, uh, right, in, with that name and that the bet is just sort of um, oddly placed in that place. And if, in effect, I'll read the translation just for the sake. We're going to run out of time so fast. In effect, what God is saying is that God has not made a point of becoming familiar to the patriarchs by God's attribute Hashem when appearing to them by yud heh vav such as in the example mentioned. The question is, is El Shaddai a place or is El Shaddai a name? Is El Shaddai a place or is El Shaddai a name? Be El Shaddai. If you were to ask me, by the way, this would also be a very easy scribal error. It could have been Ke El Shaddai, as El Shaddai. That's just me speaking as somebody who studied at the Jewish Theological Seminary. I haven't asked any of my professors about it, but as El Shaddai would make a whole lot of sense here as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when is El Shaddai used and when is yod heh used? We're going to get there in, in a commentary in just a minute. So when is when are each of these names used? Like, is El Shaddai used as a name? Is it not used as a name? Right? Is it a place? Does it show up as a place? How do we know? What are we basing this on? But clearly, Sforno is basing this on the notion that he thinks that it's a name, right? Bishmi El Shaddai. He thinks that it's Bishmi El Shaddai, but the bet is placed in an odd place in the sentence. Okay, go to Rabbeinu Bachya on Shemot on the third chapter, which is not in Va'era. It's in this week's Parsha in Shemot. So go back to Shemot, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, which is on page 320, 330. Okay, 330 and 331, okay? So, Rabbeinu Bachya says, Elohei Yitzchak, In this moment, when God says, you should tell the Israelites, Ehyeh sent me to you, because I am Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh, I am... Uh, I am, I will be what I will be. And God said further to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, El B'nai Yisrael Adonai Elohei Avotechem, the God of your fathers, Elohei Avraham Elohei Yitzchak Elohei Yaakov, Shalachani Alechem, 
Zeshmi le'olam, v'zezichri l'dor, dor. So this is my name forever. And this is my remembrance from generation to generation. So Rabbi Nubachia says, this kind of a list, this is the list by which I will be known. I will be known by Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. I will become known as the God of ancestors in a chain like this. Go to the end of the commentary, though. Another example. V'chein b'sefer micha. V'eshlach l'fanecha et Moshe, Aharon, u'miriam. Yet another example, Rabbeinu Bachia says, of the list of people who come. Why can God not be introduced, though? Why can God not say to Moshe, go to the, Jew, to the Israelite people, to B'nai Israel, and say, I am the God of, of Moshe, Aharon, Umiriam? They have no idea. They have no experience at all. And actually, think about this for just a second. They have no recent connection whatsoever with Avraham, with Yitzchak, and with Yaakov. So Irv wants to believe that there is a lineage, and it's a strong one, and that that generation that was enslaved down in Egypt, they were holding tight. Right, right, right. And I find that there is a there's a reintroduction here that's happening that seems to be playing deeply on the fear, perhaps, that God has that maybe you're right, Earth, and maybe I'm right. Like maybe it's true that they still absolutely have this connection to the notion that this is the God of their ancestors. Or maybe they're slaves down in Egypt and they are living the worst life possible and feel very distant from any god that they may have cried out to because at the bush we've just heard they've been crying out now finally their god has heard them so god's saying to moshe go to them and say this is the god of abraham isaac and jacob your ancestors i've heard your cry it's a tough sell right it's a it's a tough sell go ahead yeah we are honoring Martin Luther King Jr. on Monday. Great. I love that idea. Surely somewhere there was a kernel of hope. If we know that in the enslaved tradition in the American South, which is much more recent history by comparison by hundreds of years rather than thousands of years, that we know that there was memory of the biblical, of the biblically captured no pun intended, uh, story of, of, um, of Israelites, then surely there must have been a kernel of hope alive that this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob might come and to rescue them. Yeah, that's right. The page was often ripped out of, of Exodus when, the, when slave Bibles were given. Yeah, that's right. All right, Kathy, you get the last word, and then one more Rabbeinu Bachia and one last commentary. Great point. How do we know that this God that you say, Moshe, by the way, Moshe, you, prince of Egypt, you, who has now married a Midianite princess in the wilderness, 
how do we know that this God whom you've met is our God, right? So it is actually, it's like an inversion of the zuchut, of the merit that we call upon God. God's saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and of Jacob. I, I love that. Like God is calling upon us the way that we now utilize that as a signifier of merit. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember us. And God is saying, remember me? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've heard your cry. Beautiful. I really like that. Did I get that right? I understand that. Great. We're actually going to go right to the last commentary so that we can get through this just in time. So the final commentary on the final page. Okay. My favorite Ibn Ezra I found, and I couldn't disagree with him more, but it's actually the reason why it's such a treasured commentary. Okay. So this is his take on El Shaddai. So now we're traveling back to the moment in Vaera where God speaks to Moses and says, just so you know, I revealed myself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, the El Shaddai. So Ibn Ezra says, maybe what this meant was as, because bet can mean a, uh, bet can be taken to mean as, as an El, as a God, she, that is die, enough. And then he goes on to say, that absolutely cannot be the case. God is never translated in such a way. It has to be adjectival. That's not a form that we read God's name in. And I thought to myself, Ibn Ezra, but that's such a great explanation. I love this explanation so much. We're going to read the verse in this way for a moment. Okay, so God spoke to Moses. So God, uh, Elohim spoke to Moshe. He said to him, Ani Adonai, I am Va'era, and I appeared to Abraham, El Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov, and also to Jacob. Be'el Shaddai, as a God who was enough. Ushmi Yodhe and my name is Yodhe Vavhe. Lo nodati lahem. I wasn't quite known to them. I love this read so much, even if Ibn Ezra disagrees with his own read himself about what this could possibly be. And the reason why I love this is that again, we're talking about a moment where God is, just to reach uh, into a little bit of theology, we are talking about a moment where we are acknowledging a God who has permitted God's people, that God's people, to descend for hundreds of years into slavery. So this is that God saying, I am a God who is enough and will be enough. And so it creates this air of wonderment about how there will be repair in that relationship now in this generation. How will they be known? Will God be El? She die in this generation? Will God be the God who is enough 
to this generation, it's not a name, it's a quality of God. God is El Shaddai. God will always be enough in every generation. It's an ask of trust and a very difficult one. Does anyone want to offer any thoughts on that notion before we close? Does that make you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to repeat that word for word, but Alan, you're right. It is, first of all, a lovely idea of a notracuno, an idea of splitting a word so that you can create new meanings out of it. And second of all, it is such an oddity that God would say in the text that they didn't know God as Adonai, because of course they did. So how do we go about explaining, and I know the Rabbi Clickfield has tried to explain it in this such a way in Rashi class and other places that perhaps they really didn't quite understand every one of God's qualities before. For me, and I think this is where I'll, um, I'll leave this off, and I think that this is a, a terrific place to leave this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. Doctor, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. Lots of titles. Um, God is only part of the equation. God is tapping Moshe as a prophet, but a very particular kind of prophet. Is a prophet of, uh, God is trying to turn Moshe into a nonviolent leader. It is a moment where God is taking Moshe, who killed a man in anger, and turn him into somebody who is lacking confidence and turn him into a confident, nonviolent leader of a people. And what I read this as is a commentary. And again, remember, Ibn Ezra doesn't like this read of the El Shaddai that he creates, but I do like it. I like the idea that God is enough in this situation. People play an enormous role. God only plays so much of a role. Um, uh, the late great rabbi uh, of VBS, Rabbi, I have brain fog right now, Rabbi Schulweiss, thank you. Rabbi Schulweiss, Rabbi Harold Schulweiss, had a wonderful saying. He taught that there is no singular word in Hebrew for miracle. There's no one word. We have lots and lots. We have niflaot, we have nes, we have all sorts of words. And each of them represent different types of coming out of what would seemingly be impossible situations. So the story of the exodus of Egypt, which begins here with tremendous oppression, it does take the intervention of God, according to our text here, but it takes enormous human intervention as well. So what I take that read as is God will be, is making a promise that God will be El Shaddai to the people. God will be enough to them in this story and is making a promise that God has heard their cry, but the people will also have to play an enormous role in this as well. I, we, what's that? No, I mean, I'm glad you can sleep better at night with that explanation. I, you know, we live in a world, um, Thomas Jefferson had a, a, um, 
a, a way of looking at the Bible, a deist Bible. I don't know if you know about this. Had a, a way of looking at the world. He really believed that God had written, had made the world and then uh, walked away, so to speak, right? Really, really believed that. There are people who believe that God is completely non-interventionist in the world as it is today. Um, and when I go back and I read the Exodus story, it's hard for me to go back into the world of playing with God being an interventionist in the world. Um, but when I put myself in it, as I'm supposed to do as a Jew and really read the Exodus story, putting myself in it, I do, I do want to be there. I do want to remember that this Pesach. I want to believe that God will be El Shaddai. I do want to believe that there's just enough God, that there's just enough of whatever it is in the world that will help the human being leaders on this planet and will nudge the unwilling but needed and talented leaders to step up as they need to step up, right? And so on and so forth. So may it be that we are in a world where we have a God who is El Shaddai, um, a God who might uh, be admittedly fallible, as is the case in uh, this story. And, um, and may we be open to new reads always uh, of this story because it's the only thing that keeps this interesting. So thanks for coming along for this ride today. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.